Hey girls, boys, and folks beyond the binary. Welcome back to On The Mic, outspoken LGBTQ storytelling. I'm Devlin Camp. Once a month, people from all over Chicago gather at Sidetrack, one of the city's longest-running gay bars, to hear stories told live by LGBTQ people. Now we're going back into the archives, six years of archives, to bring the stories to you. The Outspoken Archive is packed with people of innumerable identities. We all walk down a different road with our own challenges, especially those of us in the queer community. Some of our roads run parallel and some of them intersect. Outspoken is often where our roads meet. Many of us share some form of queerness in our identities. But our life experiences differ depending on our race, class, culture and nationality, citizenship status, sexuality, assigned gender, disabilities, age, the list goes on. We all experience new journeys on our respective roads. Today, we'll hear stories about taking on drastically different new journeys. We'll hear from an African immigrant coming to America, a 12-year-old, very funny bisexual person coming out to her mother, and a trans woman of color launching her own business. You might recognize her voice. She's a self-taught computer coder, founder and CEO of Trans Tech Social Enterprises, which helps transgender people secure jobs in the tech industry. And she also now plays the legendary Candy Ferocity on FX's Pose. Angelica Ross told her story in September 2014, right before launching her business at our second ever Outspoken event. She went on to become the first female transgender actress to hold two series regular roles on television. Outspoken takes place the first Tuesday of every month at Sidetrack and is audio recorded in front of a live audience. Each storyteller at Outspoken speaks from their unique perspective and their views do not represent those of other speakers, the hosts, Outspoken, or Sidetrack. At the crazy intersections of gender, class, race, and religion, Miss Angelica Ross, or Miss Ross to all of us, Miss Ross has made a career out of helping others navigate the challenges that come along with being a member of more than one minority. In February of 2013, Angelica joined the Trans Life Center Project, an amazing new project, by the way, at Chicago House and Social Service Agency here in Chicago, and has developed an employment program specifically geared towards transgender and gender non-conforming job seekers. Uh, Angelica is now the executive director and CEO of Trans Tech Social Enterprises. Please welcome Miss Ross. Thank you. So yes, my name is Angelica Ross. As he said, I am the executive director and CEO of Trans Tech Social Enterprises. And I'd like to say hi, Mike. Yes. Um, just wanted to say hi. Um, and so before I came here tonight, um, I am in the throes of launching this company. I, as a trans woman of color, I left my job, um, my security in June, and I embarked on a new journey to do what I think is super, super important work. And it's been hard but um, it's been extremely rewarding. The challenges have been rewarding. Um, I'm still um, struggling. Part of my struggle is just eating, which is also a benefit because look. <laughs> so win-win, winning. So um, 
But I was at home today, and we, we kicked off our Indiegogo campaign today. We're raising $15,000 in 15 days for Trans Tech. And we've got 15 amazing trans stars um, all over from Courtney Ryan Ziegler to Fallon Fox, who's the first uh, trans MMA fighter, to Teek Milana Glad. We have just, um, we have Joey, who is my partner here in the audience. And, and Joey is actually my entrepreneurial soulmate. Like, that's my, my work husband right there. And before, before I coming here, Joey's texting me. He's like, what are you gonna say? What's your story? What are you gonna do, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm tired. I don't know, I'm just, I, you know, I tell my story all the time, but what, what am I gonna say? And, and it just occurred to me that I should just tell the story of what I'm in the thick of right now, and that's creating um, this business here and what it's taking me to get here. Um, for a trans woman of color, I am 34 years old, oh, no, excuse me. I am 33 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I am 33. I'll be 34 in November. But um, I am 33 years old. And as a trans woman of color, the average life expectancy and age is 30. So I am definitely living on borrowed time right now. In the city of Chicago right now, there is an active hit out on trans women of color's lives, especially on the west side of Chicago where they have basically made it known that you're not welcome here. And what I wanna share with you tonight is that as a trans woman of color, I have had a difficult time finding where I am welcome, even in this neighborhood. When I started out transitioning, one thing I realized, one thing that being a trans woman of color helps me to realize is that love requires courage. And that's a really hard thing to come by. People throw around the word love a lot, just like they throw around the word Facebook friend, you know. <laughs> People throw around love a lot, but they don't know that it actually takes courage. And I found it out firsthand because when I came out to my parents and told them that I was trans and I came home with a weave sewn into my head, um, my parents kicked me out of the house and basically that started my journey of what we call fucking figure it out. And you just fucking figure it out, basically. And what I realized is that my mother's excuses and the things that she would say is that, you know, I, I brought you up in this house and you know the right way in our church and what will the church say and what will our, our, your, the neighbors and our relatives say? They think that I'm a bad person, I'm a bad parent, I didn't raise you this way. And what I end up realizing is that even as family members, as siblings, is that it takes courage to love someone, to love your child and say that regardless of the fact you are mine, you belong here but I didn't get that message early on that I actually belong there. And so it, it set me out on a path to seek. And again, one thing that I've learned as a Buddhist is that um, the path is everything. The path is where you learn and you find yourself and you find your purpose. And I no longer regret or have animosity or hold any ill will towards those who have provided adversity to me on my path because they have made me as strong as I am today. 
when I eventually, there's a, there's a long story in here, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story because you can find that out in other ways. But I've, uh, I entered the military when I was 17 years old um, into the Navy, and I was discharged after being hung out of a third-story window um, where they tried to get me to admit that I was gay, which for me, that is not my truth. Standing in my truth today, I'm a woman who is attracted to men. Hi, Mike. Um, <laughs> So that would not have been true for me. And so when I got out of the military, um, I decided to live my life for me, and that's when my parents kicked me out. And one thing that people need to realize when you hear trans issues and you hear about these things is that race is that intersection that changes everything. So when you talk about trans issues, it's one thing to be white and trans. It's another to be black and trans. I'm red as black before I'm red as trans these days. So um, at one point um, when my parents kicked me out, I, I was, I really, I don't share the story often because I'm in the media a lot and media likes to take your words and twist them and whatnot. whatnot. But um, I found myself in the street economy and I, I learned myself of how to, um, to keep myself safe and to provide for myself in the most dire situations. And one thing that I have learned is that I've come face to face. When I, I started uh, performing, and, and that's when I started to actually find myself was in performing, but when I went to go perform at the drag gigs, the white girls were coming in with their, kit, their caboodle sets and all of their jewelry, and it was like a hobby for them. And I was coming in, it was survival. I was performing to get fed that night. I was performing to hopefully keep my cell phone on in case I get a call. And what I realized is that through performing, I was able to actually find my womanhood and find what worked for me over years of being an entertainer. I found also love along the way and I um, was with this man for a, a beautiful seven years. But what I realized was that love takes courage and he did not have the courage to stand next to me. And while a lot of my friends were telling me, well, girl, I mean, he doesn't hit you, he doesn't cheat on you, we don't think, you know? So, I mean, for a trans girl, that's, that's pretty good. He proposed to me outside of Tiffany's. It was my dream, outside of Tiffany's. And we went in and we picked the ring out and then he asked me to keep it a secret. And I asked him, then what are you proposing to me? What kind of life are you proposing that we live? And at that moment, I was faced with the decision that although there was beautiful times that we had together, he was my best friend, he was in a place that I needed to outgrow because in order for me to be the CEO and executive director of TransTech today, I had to be able to stand in my truth proudly, and he was not willing to stand next to me in that. I then, for, I've been single for probably about seven, eight years, um, and uh, because it is just not that cute out there for dating for a trans girl like me, um, and I'm cute. <laughs> 
it's not easy. And I can tell you because I'm so driven. My career, I'm so driven in my career. I've worked for Apple for a couple of years. I've, I've worked pretty much every possible job you can think of. And what I can tell you, it is not easy for a trans woman of color. I am only visible. When I left my ex, I left to come here to Chicago because I got a job offer at the Kit Kat Lounge down the street. Some of you might remember my Whitney Houston. Yes. Or some of you might remember the fact that I would go out in the middle of the street and perform in the middle of the street and stop, stop taxi cars in my two-piece bathing suit doing car wash. Yes. And I loved it. I love performing. But too many people are confused. And so I had to step out of performing, not just because it's a bad thing, and no, to each its own. But for me, what I realized is that my own community preferred that I lip sing the greatness of someone else's story than tell the greatness of my own. I realized the moment that I started having a voice, I lost friends. I lost fans. No more dollar tips. Speaking of, I'm, running, I'm taking donations tonight. I'm, not per, I'm just giving you a story here, but you know, I do take donations. It's tax deductible, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but what I realized is the moment I stepped off stage, I became invisible. The moment I was no longer your entertainment, I became invisible. When I raised my voice to tell you about my concerns, I'm told I'm being too sensitive. They are giving fines out right now on the NFL field for using words like faggot, but I'm too sensitive when you use words like tranny. Please understand that the journey for any trans woman, whether they are a showgirl, whether they are an advocate, or whether they are just a girl that is trying to get a job somewhere, none of it is easy. You expect to go where the rainbows are to find refuge, and I still find closed doors. I walk down the street, and not a single one of my trans sisters are serving me a drink. Not a single one of them are checking my ID at the door. Not a single one of them are washing my hair at the salon. Not a single one of them are taking my order at the diner. What is our commitment to making sure that we are heard and seen as a community out of the lights and off the stage? I personally know about privilege. I teach and I talk about privilege. I talk about white privilege and people are very scared around that. They don't know white privilege, what do you mean? But I, 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 I explain it in the sense of I too have had privilege. I walk with passing privilege. To pass for me is another day to live. Walking in certain neighborhoods, if I'm not clocked, I get to live. I get to use the bathroom. I get to possibly apply for a job. I get to do things when I pass in society. But for those girls that don't pass, life as a trans person is very difficult, especially as a trans woman of color. And so when I stand here today, I stand here coming through a lot. 
I've been that sex worker. I've been that girl serving your food at the restaurant. I've been that girl make, doing your makeup. I've been that girl selling you your house at, for real estate. I've done pretty much everything, but what I, can, what I can definitely say is this, is that doing sex work for me was a lesson in value and understanding. Like uh, there's this, this uh, sacred prostitution being an archetype and that prostitution or selling yourself, because we're all selling ourselves in some way at some point in life. Some of us just do it in phys physically. But what you realize is that at some point, this is not worth it to me. Or at some point, I'm worth more than this. I recently, as you heard before, worked for the Trans Life Center, and it's a great groundbreaking program that I was so fortunate to be one of the groundbreakers, the one who wrote the curriculum, who started the program. But I also realize, truth, speaking truth to my story, that as a trans woman of color, it is important for me to own my story and not just to give it to someone else to do what they wish to do with my story. It is important for me to lead efforts when it comes to training our community and helping our community. There's, there's money coming from the government and things like that. If, if there are organizations, you need to have trans people of color there informing your decisions, and that is why I come to this point because I said, you know what, I don't have, I wasn't able to finish my degree. I got up to the junior year with a 3.875 GPA, but I could not afford to finish college. But it doesn't matter because I'm, I know my value. I am still valuable. And so my story tonight is about courage. It's about value. It's about recognizing the fact that I'm here. I'm a part of your community see me, even if I'm not the entertainment at your party, invite me to your circles, invite me to your table, invite me into your world. Thank you. Ashley Ray. Ashley is a, yes. I'm glad you brought some friends. That's wonderful. <laughs> Ashley Ray is a freelance writer and storyteller. She writes about everything from Teen Mom to the influence of The Daily Show on her early sexual development. As a queer black woman, Ashley's work attempts to find joy and comedy in the worst moments of life's oppression. You can read her work at www. A-R-A-Y-Y-A-Y-R-A-Y-A.com. Please welcome Ashley Ray. Come on up. I'm going to tell a coming out story today. Uh, but it's not my coming out story, actually. Uh, I never had a coming out story. I was one of those kids who, when I was growing up, my cousins would always be like, there's something funny about Ashley. Uh, when I was like five, my mom got me one of those My Size Barbies, uh, and I used to sit in the corner of my room making out with it. <laughs> and not just like, there was, like I remember one time I brought it downstairs and like my friends were playing in one part of the room and I was just playing with my doll, Sally was her name, in the other room, and I just was kissing her doll vagina. Uh, and that was something that made sense to me from a very early age. So I always knew 
that, that I was gay. It made sense to me to fall in love with my friend Monique, and I didn't understand why my mom would get mad when I would kiss her. I was a nine-year-old. Like, what? I love her. Why can't I kiss her? That's what you do. That's what you told me. Uh, and then I learned the caveats that, oh, it was only supposed to be with boys. Um, for me, my coming out experience kind of happened opposite. Uh, when I was like 12 years old, I was watching The Daily Show, and you know when you're about that age, like sixth grade, and you're kind of starting to go through puberty, feel some things, and there was something about that music and Jon Stewart doing the oi, oi, <laughs> that just made me go, oh my god, maybe men are an option. Uh, <laughs> So my coming out was kind of a, I guess, like, I'm bi now. Uh, which, for my mother, for a 12-year-old to be telling her that was shocking. Uh, my mom, this black woman from Detroit, she was born in 1953. She had been dealt one of the hardest cards in life. She had struggled through the 70s and 80s to make something of her life. She had put all of her children through school. She was a single black mom. And I know that I can't be mad at her for what she did because she just didn't want it to be hard for me either. Uh, the last thing she wanted after all of her years of struggle and oppression was to have this daughter who would just face more struggle and oppression, struggles that she couldn't even understand. Uh, so I couldn't be mad when she called my pastor and said, I need you to help me with Ashley. Uh, she had me meet with the pastor's wife. Uh, her name was Eugenia, which is a name I love. <laughs> uh, she was beautiful. She had this curly, natural hair that she wore like before Solange made it cool. Uh, and she tucked it up under this big white church hat. It was very like Daughters of the Dust. She wore the like long white flowing gowns and white tights to church. And for a very long time, white tights very much defined my sexuality. <laughs> Just ask anyone who knew me when I was like 19, like, oh, is it a night out on the town? Ashley has her white tights on. <laughs> I now know that is not the answer. That is not what does it for guys, girls, or anyone in between. Um, but sitting with this pastor's wife, Eugenia, I fell in love. It just backfired on her. It was literally like my mother was like, oh, you're going to meet with the preacher's wife, and like Whitney Houston just actually walked in. And I was just like... And now somehow I, like, I'm not supposed to be gay. I don't understand, but she's so beautiful. And she just sits here with me every Sunday morning and asks me about my day. <laughs> she's so lovely. So I kind of backfired on my mom. And I understood where she was coming from, but I could never be anyone but myself in the end. So I started a gay-straight alliance at my school when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> We, we were not allowed to, to put posters up because they said the word gay was offensive to sixth graders. Uh, but I didn't care. I rallied. I became a, a staple in the Rockford, Illinois gay community. Can I get a shout out, 815? Okay, there it is. <laughs> and I just, I had to be myself. I kept doing it. I went to college and I studied women and gender studies. I wrote books. I wrote about gay TV shows, I, I kept writing, I kept writing stories about my experience. I dated, I dated so many people, I dated so much. I moved to Chicago from this small, small town in Massachusetts where I went to school, and it blew my mind. There's just apps where you can just like order people up. You just order them up. 
blew my mind. I moved here and I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I want to try like this. Oh my God, there, there she is. She's coming over right now. <laughs> and it was amazing. And it was this time for me to just really explore and discover more of my sexuality. And I realized I wasn't just bi, but I was polyamorous. I was bi-poly. And I remember calling my mom up and for some reason thinking like, I'm gonna be open about who I am all the time. I'm gonna tell my mother. And I get her on the phone and I'm like, mom, I'm by Polly. And I explained, I date all genders and I have multiple partners, people who have partners, I do it all. And my mom just goes, oh, so you're a slut then. <laughs> And you know what? She wasn't wrong. She really wasn't wrong. I couldn't, again, I couldn't be mad. I was like, you know what? You're not wrong, Mom. Yeah, yeah, you know what? That's another way to say it. Mine is maybe like what we'll put on the poster and yours can be what we just use in the house. Um, but, but it made sense. And after that, it was even harder for my mom to understand where I was coming from at all. She would call and be like, so what, do you have a girl, a guy, what, what do you have now? What are you dating? What are you going to bring to the reunion? I don't even know. And it was so much, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't talk to my mom. She just didn't get this experience. If you know my mother, which none of you do, um, <laughs> she was born in Detroit. She was forced to get married when she was 16 years old because she was raped and it resulted in pregnancy. Uh, she was in this abusive marriage with someone who went to Vietnam. Her parents sold it to her this way. Hey, yeah, you'll have a baby and this husband you don't care about, but he's going to the war, so 50-50 chance he'll even come back. And like the day after the wedding, he ships out. So like, duh, come on, that's pretty much a deal for you in 1969. Uh, he comes back with a heroin addiction. Uh, my mother had two more children. Uh, until finally he pushed her down the stairs and she was forced to leave. And my mom couldn't understand why when I would meet a nice boy, why I couldn't just stay with them. She was just like, why, what, what could possibly be out there? What, I don't understand why you make it so hard on yourself. Just find a guy and be with him. That's what all I had to do. That's all you need to do. And I understood why she thought that way. And in the end, I just decided it was easier not to talk to my mom, to keep things a secret from her. Uh, that's what I decided to do. I got into a long-term relationship with a girl, uh, Maria. We were together for about three years, and I didn't tell my mom a word. My mom just thought she was a friend. I would go visit her on just like school trips. Oh, I have a long weekend. I'm just going to go visit Maria's family. My mom was just like, oh, I guess Maria's rich or something. <laughs> you want to stay in her like New York penthouse? OK, makes sense. You don't want to come back to Texas. And when I was 21, Maria died of a Coke overdose. And it was around spring break, I was at home. And when I got the news, I broke down crying. Uh, my mom didn't understand. She was like, I know this was a friend of yours. I know that you cared about her a lot, but Ashley, you haven't eaten in three days. You're not sleeping. I don't. And then she understood. Um, I was in love with Maria. And I think that's when my mom really understood that I was gay and that my love mattered, whether it was with a guy or a girl or anyone else. And I think she finally got that. 
And she helped me move on from that moment. She helped me pick myself up. And I started to talk to my mom again. I was like, okay, maybe she kind of gets it. But it was still a slow embrace. We would talk about TV shows only. And she would always like slyly bring up the gay TV character to like, to like kind of make it know like, I'm cool with it though, you know? Like, hey, I, I, like, I'm down, though. Like, yeah, you know, like, let's talk about Grey's Anatomy. And did you, you saw, like, the patient this week, she was, she was, she, she was gay. <laughs> and I was just, yeah, mom, yeah, I saw. And she would do that every time. And that's been our relationship for the past, like, four years. We would just talk about gay TV characters. She called me and was like, I saw that moonlight. And it's like, I'm very proud, mom. These are big steps for you. And one day, a few months ago, I'm riding the bus. I'm just riding the 74 Fullerton. I'm at, I remember it exactly, Fullerton and Milwaukee and that intersection. And I get a text. It's on my phone. And it's from my mom. And I have to show it and people up here will see it, they'll vouch for me. It's from my mom. It's a Kermit emoji doing this. Ah, and the text underneath says, good morning, Ashley. News alert. I think I'm gay and or queer now. Four exclamation points. Hey, me, is how she ends it. Hey, me. And I... Uh, what do you do on the 74 Fullerton bus? I'm just like, what? <laughs> My mother, who made me to like go to conversion classes, is not only gay, but gay and or queer. So like already from the jump, she's outdoing me. She's like, oh, you're just gay. Well, I'm gay and or queer. So I got you on that one. And I'm just like, mom, what? What, what made you dec decide on that? And I think to myself, and I think about the life I've led and what she's seen, how she saw me struggle, how she saw me love my partners, how she saw me be successful and thrive despite being gay is how she saw it. And maybe I think, did I inspire my mom? Did she see me living my life and go, wow, you know what? At 63 years old, I can come out of the closet now. 63. And so... I go, well, mom, <laughs> oh my God, uh, was it me? <laughs> did, I, did I inspire you? Like, oh my gosh. And she goes, oh, uh, you know that, that show we talk about, uh, Queen Sugar? Uh, if you're not familiar with Queen Sugar, it is on OWN, which is Oprah's channel, and if you don't have it, you're racist, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But it is the TV show on Oprah's channel, and it features this beautiful, amazing, openly bisexual character who's like a healer and a witch and a magician, and she's amazing, and she's my mom's favorite. And my mom goes, well, I was watching Queen Sugar, and I thought, if Nova can be gay, so can I. Wasn't me your daughter, love of your life, you know, who inspired you? You know, it wasn't, okay. It was, 
A T, okay. So that, <laughs> that is how Oprah made my mom gay. <laughs> and I just, this little chat, and I'm like, okay, mom, well, like, you know, you can't just, like, you just watch a TV show. Like, I get a little defensive at this point, because, like, she's already out gaying me. And so I'm like, what? You just think you, like, watch a TV show? You're gay now? You think, like, you, like, know, like, you're gay? That's not gay. And then she just shoots me a little selfie. It's her and a woman. And my mom just replies, this is Darla, she's my girlfriend now. And now not only is my mom gay, but she's better at dating than me. Because I'm still single. <laughs> hey. Hi. <laughs> and I go, mom, do you want me to call you? Do you want to talk? And she goes, no. <laughs> I'm busy, clearly. I'm, bu I'm with, like, that was a right now selfie. Like... I'm busy. And again, I couldn't even be mad. Because at 63 years old, my mom came out the closet. Queer folks have existed since the beginning of humanity. Let's rewind to June 18th, 1953. Jet Magazine reported on a 26-year-old shake dancer named Carlette Brown. Carlette announced her plans to set sail for Germany to secure her gender affirmation surgery. The first woman to transition publicly in mainstream American media, Christine Jorgensen, had recently returned to America from Denmark, and all of the nation was fascinated by her this medical marvel blonde bombshell. She became an instant star, appearing with all sorts of celebrities and was the most written about topic in American media in 1953. Carlette Brown, a trans woman of color, went largely overlooked. Christine's doctor, Christian Hamburger in Copenhagen, said he would operate on Carlette Brown too if she were to give up her US citizenship status and come to Denmark. Carlette told Jet Magazine, I just want to become a woman as quickly as possible, that's all. I'll become a citizen of any country where I can receive the treatment I need and be operated on. Carlette immediately renounced her citizenship at the Danish consulate and made plans to leave for Holland. Jet printed a fantastic photo of Carlette in a brand new skirt and blazer set with her legs up on a table, saying she's showing friends in a Boston nightclub correct technique for displaying legs. Shortly after, Carlette had her hair set and put on that skirt and blazer set before heading to a club and she was arrested for wearing women's clothes and fined $5. She was unable to raise that bail. Shortly after, Carlette sold her blood for $5 a pint to pay her rent and buy groceries. Jet Magazine reported on Carlette Brown one more time on October 15, 1953, announcing that she had postponed her plans to go to Europe indefinitely. She'd been ordered by the federal government to stay in the country until she paid $1,200 owed in income tax. She took a $60 a week job cooking at Iowa State College to begin paying the debt. Carlette Brown said, I feel that female impersonators, the term used at the time, are being denied their right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness when they are arrested for wearing female clothes, especially when they are minding their own business. As Christine Jorgensen's body was held up as the ideal, the heterosexual, white, cis-passing woman, Trans women of color like Carlette Brown were, and often still are, unable to secure the same privileges. Give Carlette Brown a Google. You can see her demonstration in Jet Magazine of what she calls the correct technique for displaying legs. 
Akeng Besi, born and bred in sub-Saharan Africa in the early 1980s, a time when dictatorship and military rulings were the order of the day. Passionate and sophisticated Akeng in the early 2000s began a path to media communication and contemporary Christian music. By 2014, he had become a household name, bagging awards under his belt for his theatrical style and excellence, hosting a daily flagship entertainment show, which was syndicated to about 30 countries in Africa, parts of Canada, and the Caribbean. His Friday unplugged music sessions live on TV brought him more than fame, more fame and notoriety. But like the saying, life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Fame and fortune brought him pain and self-torture, which eventually sent him packing to the United States to begin a fresh lifestyle. He could no longer cope with the pressure of being that gay anchor man and a nation that frowned upon it. Today, among other new work experiences, Akeng chooses to lend his voice mostly to 80 Minutes Around the World, a nonprofit organization curated by Nasser Gomez. Akeng is now telling stories to inspire and to uplift, uplift hearts. Please give a warm welcome to Akeng Basie. From the creeks of Calabar to the streets of Chicago, I am an immigrant, a refugee, an asylee. I did not sojourn to America as an alchemist, a missionary, an enslaved, audacious, an educationist. I was fleeing the shores of Africa to the land of the free and home of the brave for safety, shelter, and secured standard living. It turns out that this Lala Land with skyscrapers by far taller than what my people call Dogonyaro, which literally means tallest forest tree, is simply a concrete jungle where dreams are seemingly made, but a land of hard knocks that may never be as green, homely, and welcoming as home, Calabar. The calm bay, the place one come and live and be at rest. Come and live and be at rest. I have had no rest since I got here. Sometimes I feel like I flew from frying pan to fire. The streets aren't safe. The same guns my forefathers told me about in tales of slavery and religion that were used in exchange for commodities in Africa are running the towns in the United States. And that's not good for me as a foreigner, nor you as a citizen. So be not deceived. People kill people. Guns don't kill people, and I'm scared. Weapons of mass destructions isn't my only fear. The tongue, the native tongue, the native language of the American people scares me. I may not be, or rather, I may be an English speaker, but I may never know how to use it as the originals. Therefore, this paralyzes me. As when I say even a common hello, someone is going to say, oh my God, you have an accent. Where are you from? Forgetting to even respond with a hello in return. Now, this kills me because I crashed into my ski and I was in the train this afternoon and I, I and my friend, we were, you know, having a chit chat and this African-American man just looked at us and it was like, oh, you sound so different. Where are you from? Kenya? I'm like, oh my 
God, can't we just have a conversation? Then we said, oh, no, we're Nigerians. It's like, yes, because you guys sound very differently. I'm like, goodness me, can't we just camouflage for once? Anyway, I start to get insecure because years prior, my gestures, which reflects less of global society's definition of masculinity, got me into this bubble in the first place. Now, my name. I had to cut it down from a normal five letters to three, simply because people are too eh, lazy to pronounce something foreign to them. Yet, when I say theirs, they become super excited. Better pronunciations and remembrance of their names make them feel on top of the world like a Alexandra D. Trump. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Can't say no further. I, I'm done. But... The culture shock leaves me numb for a minute. If I don't talk in a certain way, act in a certain way, work and walk in a certain way, get my certificate from a certain Lacolle de Americano, dress in a certain way, dine and wine in a certain way, think in a certain way, conversate in a certain way, should I keep going, keep going, dance in a certain way, do business in a certain way, make friends in a certain way, and more certain ways. I am an immigrant, less than an American. Now, how about race? Now, because I'm dark-skinned doesn't make me black, and I mean that in every sense of the word. I'd never been referred to as black all my life until my arrival on the borders of the United States. Like Chimamanda Adichie, a Nigerian American and an award-winning author of Americana and the voice behind the Beyonce song, which you guys remember, you know, the feminist voice and that being, yeah, that's the Americana lady I'm talking about. She wrote a novel, Americana which I recommend that everybody should read so that you can understand why I'm really standing here on this stage and you can understand me better. She said, my point is that the only authentic identity of the African is the tribe. I am Nigerian because a white man created Nigeria and gave me that identity. I am black because the white man constructed black to be as different as possible from his white. But I was Igbo before the white man came. Now, in my case, I'm a fuck. And a fuck, Edin Makara. In other words, I got you all confused there, right? <laughs> but I'll translate. In other words, I am as equal to the white man. I have nothing but love for the white man. The color of his skin, nor the content of his character, does not change who I am, nor make me lesser than who he is. But notwithstanding, I'm an immigrant. Well, the day I would finally say I am human, we're all immigrants, I live in love and harmony is the day I anticipate. For love knows no creed, race, boundary, but it is everything, and love is everything. Love is love. I hope we use this to integrate us, the U.S., and believe for a future where our countries would be and sink like the colors of the rainbow. Tell that to my country, Nigeria, for banning gay people. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you've got a moment, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any podcast platform. 
and share it with your friends, whether they're LGBTQ or not. Angelica Ross recorded her story in September 2014, Ashley Ray in June 2017, and Eking Basie in December 2019. Outspoken is hosted by Art Johnston and Kim Hunt, curated by Archie Jamjun. Artistic director is David Fink. Stage manager is Brad Bailoff. Story collector, Ray Teresi. Audiovisual tech, Brian Smith. Podcast producer, Devlin Camp. Hi! Outspoken takes place the first Tuesday of every month at Sidetrack and is audio recorded in front of a live audience. Sidetrack is dedicated to providing entertainment and hospitality in a respectful, safe, and inclusive space for the LGBTQIA community. Find out more at SidetrackChicago.com. You can find more information about Outspoken at SidetrackChicago.com slash OutspokenChicago. Music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0. Thanks for listening. Bye.